morning. That was a little late, but okay, we're warming up. Good morning, good morning. It is good to be together. Are you enjoying the fall weather? Yes. Oh, man. Isn't it nice to not be sweating and hot under the tent? This is so great. Uh, It is really good to be together. Glad to uh, have this chance to worship together. If you're new, we want to just extend a special welcome to you and say we're glad to have you with us at Grace. We are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. And everything we do is angling towards that. So we're thankful to have you with us. We'd also love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, It's a little strange right now because of what's going on, so we can't pass out things for you to give us your information, but we do have some QR codes up on uh, signs on the sides of the tent. You could uh, scan there to take yourself to a link where you can give us some of your info. We'd love to get to know you that way. So thankful to have you with us. Uh, For all of us, there are some exciting things happening at Grace right now. Uh, Let me just mention a few. First, lots of people are having babies, which is always exciting and really fun. So yeah, just uh, a few families. Uh, The uh, Porters have recently welcomed uh, Connor and Calvin. Andrew and Aaron McNeil have had James. Uh, The Bravos have welcomed uh, Noemi. And then Michael and Taylor, uh, Shara, who are out in Rancho now, uh, they just had Piper. So if you see any of those families, just congratulate them and we can be praying for them. Second, just an event for you to have on your calendar coming up. The Thanksgiving gathering is going to be November 15th. That's a Sunday evening. We're going to be gathering here under the tent for a a night of fellowship together, singing songs, uh, sharing testimonies of God's goodness. So that's going to be a really special time together. And then another note, there uh, previously was a Grace Bible Institute scheduled for tonight. And we just want to remind you that that uh, for a variety of reasons has been postponed, but we uh, will get you details soon about when the next GBI is coming. So just be looking out for that. Uh, Next, want to uh, just encourage you all right now, uh, this is a time to be thinking about where can I serve at Grace? Ministries are getting back up off the ground. Uh, things are happening on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. So on Sunday mornings especially, we'd love it if everybody was thinking, how could I go to two services? One service to sit under the tent and then another to serve somewhere. So just have that on your mind. And then finally, Just two uh, reminders. One is, after the service, just be mindful of the fact that we've got another service during third hour, and if kids are running around or, or people are being loud, that noise comes into the tent. So please just be sensitive to that. And then finally, does anybody know what's happening next Sunday? That might be a helpful thing to remember. It is the time change. It's time change. So uh, you gain an hour. This is like the best day of the year, an extra hour of sleep. So we just want to make sure that everybody, you know, gets that time. Uh, Or Matthew reminded me of this last service. You could come early and help us set up the tent. So uh, time change is next Sunday. All right. And with that, uh, if you'd stand with me, we're going to begin our service reading from God's word. We're going to read from Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10. And those verses say this. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And Father, we come to you this morning uh, knowing that you are the only true God, that you're great and that you do wondrous things. And we know that someday every knee will bow before you and every tongue confess that you are the Lord. And so we just thank you for the chance to do that this morning. We bow before you in humble worship. Lord, we ask that this morning you would turn our hearts towards you in joyful praise. 
We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
Scripture reading this morning is going to come from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you want to turn there with me, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Pastor Mike is going to be preaching these in just a few minutes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. We stand uh, for the reading of God's word out of honor to him. And starting in verse 1, it reads like this. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death and the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. You may be seated. And in just a moment, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. But before we do, I uh, just want to mention that we want to uh, highlight a missionary family today, and that's Steve and Mayan Cad. The Cads serve in the Middle East, uh, making video productions to take the gospel to unreached people there. So as we pray, we just want to uh, remember them before the Lord and pray uh, for them and their ministry. So with that, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning knowing that you alone are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. You are the true king of this universe. You rule over the nations of the earth and all of them are accounted as nothing before you. Lord, you're sovereign over what's happening in our nation politically. You're sovereign over what's happening in our lives personally and you care for us. We praise you that you are our loving father good and kind and patient with us, that you shepherd us and you lead us towards good pastures. Lord, we, we praise you for the way that you guide our lives. And as we're here in your presence this morning, Lord, we're, we're reminded of your holiness and of our sinfulness and rebellion. We, in so many ways, uh, have fallen short. Even this week, Lord, we've turned aside from your law. We've gone after foolish things. We've turned away from what's true and good and pure. So, Lord, we confess our sins to you this morning, and we thank you that there is provision for those sins in Christ. Lord, we praise you that, that you are the one who gave your son uh, and gave him in the likeness of sinful flesh so that you could condemn sin in the flesh. We praise you that the punishment that we deserve has fallen on him and that by his wounds we can be healed. 
So Lord, we just lay aside any thought that we'd be able to prop ourselves up this morning on our own feeble righteousness. And we trust entirely in Christ, in his shed blood on the cross, in the fact that he's been raised as the one who has defeated sin and death. Lord, he's our only hope. And so we praise you this morning for the way you've shown us mercy in Christ. Lord, we also want to pray for the CADs. We thank you that they are taking that gospel of salvation by faith in Christ to a people who desperately need it in the Middle East. We pray that you would uh, bless their ministry of making these videos. Lord, that you would uh, cause it to bear eternal fruit, what they're doing. Would you encourage them and strengthen them and help them to press on and persevere in the work, even when it seems slow and they're not seeing lots of of visible fruit even, Lord, would you just continue to help them remain faithful to you? And we know that your word does not return void. Lord, we um, are thankful for this morning to be together. And we pray uh, for the rest of our time that you would have your way in our hearts. Lord, please convict us of sin. Encourage us by your spirit, through your word. Do the work that you want to do in us so that we would be brought towards maturity in Christ. Lord, we want to look like him so that he would get glory. And it's in his name that we pray all of this. Amen.
can sing these songs, God, not simply as lyrics on a screen or melodies in a mind, God, but as truth unchanged from the dawn of time that you, God, speak and have spoken. Father, we ask as we, as we look at your word, God, would you reveal in our hearts and minds what it is you have for us this morning, that truth would be revealed and that we would be conformed to the image of your son. And it's for that son, for his glory, and in his name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Death is a preacher with a point. Death comes to all. Only God knows when. We often say, wow, time flies. In the race against time, time always wins. Missionary Jim Elliott called it that winged racer called time. Rush Limbaugh revealed this year that he has lung cancer. Or recently in his radio show, he said... It's tough to realize that the days where I do not think I'm under a death sentence are over. We all know we're going to die at some point. But when we, you have a terminal disease diagnosis that has a time frame to it, it puts a different psychological and even physical awareness to it. It's so true. And yet we all have a terminal disease and it is sin that brings death. And the effects eat away at our souls. And it's interesting, here we are in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 6, and right after saying, you need to be satisfied by the sovereignty of God, now Solomon goes into strikingly concentrated detail about death. He tells us things about death death that sober us. Death is a preacher and invites us to sit and listen and learn in the context of a funeral. Some of you have been to funerals recently. Some of you have buried some of your closest loved ones. Others of you are like, wait, I, I came to church today. I don't want to go to a, a funeral. But this is what this passage is, is doing. Death is preaching life lessons from a funeral. This passage reveals seven life lessons from a funeral. And we're going to start at verse 1 and go through verse 6. Straight through the passage, verse by verse. And the first life lesson that we see, and it's really practical for you in your life, it's this, you need to realize how much your reputation matters. You need to realize how much your reputation matters. Verse 1 begins this way. A good name is better than precious ointment. There's some word plays going on here. Good appears several times. Uh, the words name and oil are similar in Hebrew. And literally it reads like this. A good name is more good than good ointment. 
Reminds us of a time that a woman came up to Jesus with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment and poured it on him. And the disciples saw it and were indignant and said, why the waste? This could have been sold and, and brought in a large sum and given to the poor. It was expensive from North India. It was perfume made of pure nard from a plant in the Himalayas. It cost a year's wages, 300 denarii. That would be like $55,000, $60,000 to us today. And it was for her burial. Probably she spent her life savings on it. And the woman was anointing Jesus for his burial when he would die for the sins of the world. But what we see in this passage is a good name will count for more. A good name. Someone said, better is name than nard. G.C. Martin said, fair fame is better than fine perfume. Your good reputation is better than you smelling good. A good name was highly valued in that culture, in Hebrew culture. Perfume was too. A good ointment was good, but a good name was better. In Proverbs 22, we read that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. So let's just say today, someone comes up to you and says, would you rather have a really good reputation or everything this world has to offer? Choose wisely. Choose the good rep. Go with the good rep. Here's why. You could have everything in the world and, and no ointment you can buy will stop you from aging or keep you from falling into death's cold grip. A good name is better. At creation, God authoritatively named uh, light and darkness and the expanse and, and land and, and the waters and man. Man named the animals and woman. Parents named their children. Naming displays a degree of authority by which we demonstrate our God-given rulership. No matter what name you get, and all of you have a name, Whatever name you get, your reputation at the point of death is more significant than your name, however great your name is. You know, you might have one of those names where you're like, wow, you have three last names. Or, wow, you have a man's name, but you're a woman. Or, you have a woman's name and you're a man. And what were your parents thinking? And all these kind of things. And some people have names you can't pronounce. My last name is hard to pronounce. But no matter what name you get, your, your reputation at the time of death is far more significant because it testifies to who you really are. Good here is the theme. Good, it occurs in a lifetime. At, the, at birth, you get a name. And then throughout life, you earn a good or bad reputation. Every one of you has a name, and every time that name is said, people think things. There is a reputation attached to your name. Your name either gains or loses value as you go through life. In Israel, name was to express character. It was, it was hoped that character would be expressed through the name. They named with you know, significance. Now, this is not just a good name like, wow, you chose a good name. You, you chose Michael for your son. Great, great choice. You know, wow, that's a great name. Uh, this is not what we're talking about. A name in those days was meant to 
be something you aspired to live up to. Something noble, something true, something right, something good. And people in the Bible sometimes had good names that were undeserved, like it means something really good and they weren't godly. They didn't live up to their name. But here, a good name, that phrase, a good name, signifies a good reputation. Your good reputation, it reflects excellent character. Because your inner character is better than your outward fragrance, your outer smell. Your reputation is transparent. You can use perfume to cover things up. What will they say about you at your funeral? What are people going to be standing up, coming up to the microphone, during the open sharing time that sometimes goes way too long? And what are they going to say about you? Your reputation builds with every choice you make, every word spoken, every action, anything that you do affecting anyone because your character counts. There might be some of you here today that, that you say, wow, I, I ruined my reputation. I've ruined my reputation. I can speak from experience that repentance works wonders. Apologizing works wonders. Living appropriately works wonders. Forgiveness works wonders. God can restore what sin ruins. If you're here today and you, you feel like you've just ruined your life, God can restore what sin ruins. Christ forgives. There is forgiveness in Jesus. Jesus went to the cross in our place as our substitute to die for our sins. The very sins that give us a bad reputation. And most importantly, if you're a Christian today, if you're someone who says, yeah, I'm trusting in Jesus, your reputation matters for Christ. Do not let Christ's name be, be soiled, be dishonored by your behavior, by your reputation. A Christian is to do all in the name or, and for the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first point of death's sermon is we just need to realize how important our re reputation is. That's the first life lesson. You take it with you every day. Secondly, the next life lesson is that you need to know why death is better than birth. Now some of you are like, well, time out. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. The day of death better than the day of birth? I love how Derek Kidner, a commentator, said about this verse. He said, nothing in the first half of verse 1 preps you for the body blow in the second half of verse 1. This is the body blow. What, what do you mean the day of death is better than the day of birth? That's a jolting statement, isn't it? Death better than life? Like, really? Ecclesiastes 4.2 said similar. The dead, already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. I don't know about you, but that's a hard pill to swallow. Solomon knows something that he wants us to grasp. He knows that death comes, and he wants you to be aware. In 1973, Ernest Becker won the Pulitzer Prize for the book The Denial of Death. We live in a culture that denies death. We hide death. We don't want to see death. We don't want to smell death. Becker argued that all human behavior is driven by the anxiety that arises from a fear of death. 
what do we do? We try to deny death. We try to even achieve something uh, that lasts, something enduring during our life here on earth, and we find out it's futile. Apart from God, we live in constant fear of death, and we do all we can to distance ourselves from death. We want to escape. We want to numb the pain. Jeffrey Myers said the truest form of joy, the most lasting, is the one that is not escapist or anesthetizing, but fully informed. If you take a shallow view of the reality of death, you're going to live in denial. When your doctor tells you your end is near, when your phone rings with crushing news, the control that you thought you had over life just vanishes. You know, poof, it's gone. It was a mirage, that control you thought you had over life. Solomon's telling us, death day better than birthday. But we still have to ask why. And the reason why is because death beats birth in both time and significance. Birth begins your temporary existence. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you ever were alive. Death propels you into existence in infinite time. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you will be with God forever in heaven. If you reject Christ, you will be apart from God forever in hell in agony. Life is limited by death. The good name better than oil, day of death better than day of birth, but no one wants to talk about their death day. You don't plan it out. You don't go, hey, hey everybody. We're, we're throwing a party a year from today for my death. You're not doing this. We plan birthday parties because they're fun and because we want to go to them. And, a, and a, a funeral just comes upon you a few days before. You find out someone dies and you don't want to go, but you go to pay your respects and to honor and to, and to love the grieving family. Everyone wants to celebrate a birthday. Everyone wants to go to a gender reveal as long as something doesn't blow up, right, or burn down. Everyone wants to go to a baby shower. You're excited about it. This is fun. A new life is coming into the world. But a funeral? <sighs> Sobers you. Funeral? That's a downer. A funeral? That's, that's sad. But a funeral will help you live wisely. Everyone's death day is coming, yours too. At a birthday, there's all this potential. The baby's born and you're like, wow, what promise? What's this baby gonna be like? What are they gonna grow up to do? What are they, who are they gonna be? But a death day, you're in the fulfillment category. Death fulfills life. Now it's fulfillment over potential for a believer. If you're a Christian, your death day is God's promise fulfilled to you. Your salvation is fully revealed. You know, in, in Philippians, Paul said this. He says, you know what? To live is Christ. Like, to live in Christ is awesome. But to die is gain. It's better. And he says, I'm hard-pressed. I really am. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That would be very much better. Because for a Christian, at death, you're free from sin. You're free from the, the presence of and the power of sin. 
To be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. So you need to know why death is better than birth. Realize your reputation matters. Know why death is better than birth. And then a third life lesson, getting into verse 2. You need to grasp the full effects of the fall. And, And there's probably no place better than at a funeral that we grasp the full effects of the fall. Look at verse 2. Put your eyes on verse 2. I want you to look at it in your Bibles. It says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Now, every funeral that I officiate, I say this verse. I, I, I read it. I say, it's better to be here than a party, folks. It's better to be here than a party. And you're like, why? <laughs> the house of mourning is the house of the deceased. It's where the family mourns the death of a loved one. How's that better? You know, today we might meet in a home or at a funeral home or at a church. I did a funeral here under this tent. Why is it better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting? Look at the second part of verse 2. For this is the end of all mankind. Like everyone dies. Death is the end of everyone. The end to which the fall condemned us. Death came in because of sin. Death is sin's penalty. The wages of sin is death. Sin is violation of God's law. God had had warned Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.17, the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul that sins will die. Now here's what happened. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they did not die physically immediately. They just dropped to the ground and die. And there's a reason. If you're a Christian today, the reason is you. And if you're not a Christian today, you're still the reason. Because God, in his mercy, withheld the justice due to sin, held back the wrath against sin, in order to save fallen man, in order to to send a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, at the time of his choosing. And if you're a Christian today, be thankful that God held back in mercy the wrath that Adam and Eve deserved so so that Christ would come to die for sin. If you're not a Christian today, you need to consider the claims of Christ, that he died in our place for the sin that gives us a bad reputation. Since the fall, everyone who's born is born physically alive and spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 tells us that. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. But God, in fact, Romans 5 tells us, sin came into the world through one man, Adam. Death through sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned. Death came in with the fall. When you had a funeral, you actually might think about that. You're not thinking about that at a birthday party. I guess unless you don't get what you want. (laughs) In Adam all die, physically and spiritually. That is an honest assessment of life and death. The fall infected everyone and everything at every level. No one's immune. Physical and spiritual death results. Due to one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Romans 5.17. And then you come to the good news. Romans 5.17. Death reigned through the one man, but much more, better, more good, will those who receive the abundance of grace 
and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If you're working for your salvation today, you will go deeper and deeper into a bad reputation. You might be the most moral person on earth, but you will trip up at some point. Hebrews 2.15 tells us that Jesus came to save all who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. John Owen, in, in his book, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ, speaks of how Christ's death, he took the curse of death upon himself, and then for all who trust in Christ, the curse is removed. Death then transitions you from this life to the next. You need to grasp the full effects of the fall. Your reputation matters. Death is better than birth. Grasp the full effects of the fall. And then death keeps preaching. The fourth life lesson. The end of verse 2. That you need to live in light of death and eternity. You're going to die and you're going to go on into eternity. It says, better to go to the house of mourning. Why? Because the living lay it to heart. It's a very significant phrase, the, the, the living lay it to heart. The living lay death to heart, heavy upon their heart. It, it, it's literally upon the heart in the heaviest kind of way. That phrase, lay it to heart, it is used in other places, I think 17 times or something in the Bible. But in Genesis 6-6, God was grieved in his heart when he saw mankind's sin. This is before the flood. Same thing, lay it upon the heart. In Lamentations 3.21, literally, I, I recall God's faithfulness to heart, therefore I have hope. I mean, I'm, I'm in bad trouble, and I recall God's faithfulness. I, I put that on my heart, heavy on my heart. And Solomon is saying here that the reality of death is heavy on the heart of faithful believers. That if, you, if you're thinking clearly, then you will know that only in taking death to heart, heavy to heart, will you learn the lessons that a funeral intends to teach you. Proverbs 17.3, crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. God wants you to think deeply about death. And it's not morbid, it's mindful, it's, it's wise, it's godly. Everyone's going to face the day of their death. And here's what happens at the house of mourning. The living person takes it to heart. Now, now some don't. Some push it away, some ignore it, some want to run away from that. It's common. Isaiah observed that there were those that were not laying it to heart, putting it heavy on the heart when the righteous died. Isaiah 57.1. I mean, I mean, what do you gain when you go and visit the mourning family who has lost their loved one? What do you gain from it? You see the casket. You see the flowers. You see the grieving, torn-up family. What do you gain from it? You gain a grasp of the value of life, and you think about eternity. In fact, if you never think about things like this on a regular day, you do think about it even a little bit at a funeral. 
And when a baby's born, you're all excited. There's happiness. You don't think about death at birth. But in the house of mourning, uh, there's a sorrowful mood. There's a, a heaviness even. There's, there's a thoughtfulness. You don't go around cracking jokes at a funeral. You give comfort. Psalm 90 is a song of human mortality. And in verse 12 it says this, So teach us to number our days. Teach us to consider our days, to reckon our days, that we might get a heart of wisdom. So, think, so, so teach us to, to think about our life and our death. That's a godly desire being expressed. You consider the days that God grants you. And you present your life to God as an act of worship. Here's my life, Lord. I don't know how many days you've given me, but I want to use every one of them as wisely as I can, as carefully as I can. Deuteronomy 32, 29 says, if they were wise, they would discern their latter end. The wise think about their death. Going on into verse 3, it says, sorrow is better than laughter because by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. It's kind of a tricky sentence, but you just have to understand what glad means. It means good. It means better. By sadness of face, the heart is made better. It is made good. It's a positive result. Your, your heart is put right through the sadness of a funeral. The Christian knows that sadness can be replaced by joy, that we're even prepping for true joy and glory. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, this light momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. So why go to a funeral? What good does it do in your life to go to a funeral? It's that the sadness that you appropriately experience results in a more spiritually healthy heart for the person that is putting their trust in God. Where you don't run from death, you, you actually embrace death as a reality. You take it to heart. You let it set heavy on your heart. I mean, think about it. After you die, you won't be shopping at your estate sale, and you won't be crying at your funeral. If you're a Christian, you will be rejoicing in the presence of the triune God. If you are not a Christian, you will be in the agony of hell. If you reject Christ, you'll be in the agony of hell. But if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, due to no doing on your own, and no deserving on your own, you only deserve hell. And because of the grace of God and Him saving you, you will be rejoicing in the presence of Jesus Christ. Every funeral is a dress rehearsal for yours. Every funeral anticipates yours. So live in light of death and eternity. There's a fifth life lesson in verse 4. And the preacher, death, is telling us, treasure the comfort of community. Look at verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, sadness, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth, partying. You've got the wise and the foolish here. Fools and foolishness seven times in chapter 7. Wise and wisdom 13 times in chapter 7. Both the wise and the foolish experience death. The heart of the wise improves in spiritual health as a funeral. But the fool is blind to spiritual truth, and they try to avoid it all. But the heart of the wise, 
And in the Bible, your heart is your thoughts, the center of your being, your understanding. It's the deepest part of you. Your heart being in the house of mourning means that you are thinking about death deeply and that your thoughts are with the grieving family as you sit with the grieving family. Your heart is in the house of mourning. You're there with them present. You're comforting those who mourn appropriately. They need you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, but they shall be comforted. We rejoice and we grieve, and we do that best together in community and receiving the comfort that God provides. There was an ancient Jewish proverb that said a friendless man is like the left hand without the right. The Christian community is beautiful because Christ shed his blood to purchase our community, our fa the family of God. And, and you've got a perfect example, a beautiful example of comfort and community in 2 Corinthians 1. God is being called the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us. It's personal in all, all of our affliction. It's personal for Christians that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we get from God. It's very personal that we are giving comfort to someone else because God has given us comfort. It goes on to say that we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings and through Christ we share abundantly in comfort of you. We are ready to share with you not only our own selves but the gospel of God because you become very dear to us. Sharing our lives and the word of God because we're so dear to one another. Paul said to the Philippians, God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. There he is longing for Christ-centered, comforting community. During quarantine, we were all longing to be together with the people of God. We were all longing to be together. We were aching, missing the family of God. Those who still can't be with us, that are live streaming with us, they're aching to be with the family of God. In good times and bad, we must treasure comforting community in Christ. The preacher is giving death a voice because a funeral teaches. teaches you that your reputation matters and death is better than birth and the effects have some pretty big, the fall has some pretty big effects and you need to live in light of death and eternity and, and treasure the comfort of community. And then another life lesson comes in verse 5. It's a sixth life lesson. Receive loving rebuke as a gift. Where'd that come from? Look what it says in verse 5. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. I mean, two kinds of people are attending funerals. There's, there's the fool who thinks, wow, how, how unbearable this is. I can't wait to get out of here. I want to numb the pain. And then there's the wise who are staring at the coffin and they're comforting the family and they're realizing it's, it's his turn next. It's my turn next. Better rebuke than to listen to the fool's party songs, literally. To receive a rebuke humbly and patiently and want to change if your reputation has gotten soiled or you're going the wrong way in life, not to make a joke about it or shrug it off or excuse bad behavior or excuse a bad attitude. Proverbs 15, 31 says, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. 
Proverbs 17.10 says, rebuke goes deeper into one that has understanding than a hundred blows to a fool. If you have people that are wise in your life, they will lovingly come alongside you and tell you the truth. People would rather hear the truth than lies. The wise people build people up with friendly reproof. Uh, they help, they don't hinder. The wise will tell you only God will satisfy your soul. The wise will teach you, don't live for just today, live for eternity. The wise rebuke is better than frivolous compliments. But what are most of us fishing for every day? We're fishing for compliments from acquaintances. We avoid seeking ways to grow. Augustine put it this way, I'd rather be corrected by anyone than be praised by the wandering and the flatterer. The lover of truth need fear no one's correction. It's better for you and I to sit with a friend and have them tell us all our faults than spend our life with the wool covered over our eyes to receive an honest, kind rebuke, to reject the tongue of flattery, to love those who speak the truth. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man. He will love you. What's the rebuke that Solomon is pointing to here in this context of death preaching a sermon at a funeral? What is the rebuke? The rebuke is this. Listen to everything you have heard. Listen to it. Take it to heart. Put it heavy upon your heart. Let the word of God rebuke you. 2 Timothy 3 tells us that the, the word is profitable for reproof construction, not destructive criticism. Listen to what God says. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Death is the rebuker here. Listen to everything that's being said. The wise learn that your reputation matters, that death is better than birth, that you need to grasp the effects of the fall. That you need to live in light of death and eternity. That you need to treasure comforting Christian community. That you need to receive the loving rebuke as a gift. And then one more exhortation that death gives. Seventh life lesson. You see it in verse six. Determine to die well. Determine to die well and, and if you're living right now, listening to this, in light of the gospel, in light of Jesus and the gospel, look at verse 6, very interesting word picture here. As the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This is vanity. Now, actually, the preacher makes a pun. He, he actually tells a joke here. It, it, he's basically saying, crackling of thorn bushes is like the thoughtless song of a fool. One translator put it this way, like nettles crackling under kettles. Thorns are crackling under a fire. They're quickly consumed with hardly any heat. They're temporary. That's the laughter of fools. It's this microscopic benefit that ends with futility. Like the noise of sticks burning. The flattery of a fool has no instructional value. Unfiltered noise. The brief life of fools just comes to a quick ruin. That's why Jesus said, blessed are you, when you weep, for you will laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, you will mourn and weep. Those are the waterless clouds that Jude speaks of, the fruitless trees, twice dead, uprooted, 
wild waves, wandering stars, that the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever for? Hebrews 9.27 tells us it's appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment. A funeral sobers you with these truths. They only die well who find life in Christ. The one that Isaiah 53 says, bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. For believers, death does not get the last word. If you're a believer today, death does not get the last word in your life. Death was defeated by the resurrection power of the one who was raised as the firstborn among many brethren. What happens when you are in Christ and you take these things to heart and you live in light of death, you actually give a testimony of the grace of God. No matter what comes your way, you give testimony of being satisfied by God's sovereignty no matter what happens in your life. That's why in 1961, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called A Grief Observed. It was after his wife Joy's tragic death. And he wrote it as a way of surviving what he called the mad midnight moments. He called it A Grief Observed. Sheldon Vanneken wrote A Severe Mercy in 1977 following the death of his beloved wife. Jerry Sitzer, who was a pastor in Paramount, California, in 1991 he lost his wife, his mother, and his four-year-old daughter to a drunk driver. And he wrote a book on sorrow called A Grace Disguised, giving testimony of God's faithfulness. And don't you learn your lessons in life's daily furnace? Don't you learn your best lessons in the hardest time of life? As Paul put it, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. We need those ongoing reminders. This is why Solomon just trucks on. I mean, seriously, like, let's just push on through and hear what death says at a funeral. He takes us deeper to the knowledge of God. He's saying, you're not in heaven yet. God means what he says. In Isaiah 56, he said, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Revelation 14, it says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. If you're on the live stream, it's raining right now. Death preaches and the wise listen. Death is a preacher proclaiming seven soul-stirring life lessons from a funeral and speaks volumes to both the Christian and the non-Christian today. You need to realize how much your reputation matters. Don't let Christ's name be blasphemed. You need to know why death is better than birth. The Christian's death day is God's promise fulfilled. You need to grasp the full effects of the fall. That Every funeral anticipates your own. You need to live in light of death and eternity. A Christian rejoices in Christ's presence forever. You need to treasure comforting Christian community. Learn to be and yearn to be with your family in Christ. You need to receive loving rebuke as a gift. Listen to those who will speak the truth to you in love. And then you need to determine to die well in light of the gospel, in light of Christ, because you only die well if you find life in Christ. A good name. There is one with the best name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was given the name above all names, greater in rank, greater in importance. And one day, the Bible tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
in the New Jerusalem, the Bible tells us they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The redeemed, those redeemed with precious blood will be with Christ forever. The one who believes, Jesus says, the one who believes in me will never die. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you have everything to live for. Charles Bridges said, I have found more in Christ than I ever expected to want. It is only by Christ's death and life that we could have any hope of life after death. And Lord, we thank you that this is true. Thank you that your word is your word from you, totally true, without error. You'll never lead us astray. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to us, for your mercy, even in letting us be here today. And may we learn the life lessons that you intend for us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we close our service?
Amen. Let it be Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here with us today. Uh, thank you for so many of you that have responded so uh, well to uh, the Surf Somewhere uh, encouragement. And thank you for those that are still considering it. Please do. Also, um, once we start getting back to relative normal, uh, we really want you to think about being here two services. We can see each other more. And you can be at a service and then serve in a ministry or go to a class. And uh, to close, uh, let me read Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen.